The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 16 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we're going to be talking about Avengers number 14, Even an Avenger Can Die. The issue comes to us in March of 1965, and it is written by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber, pencils by Don Heck, inks by Schick Stone, letters by Sam Rosen, and layouts by Jack Kirby. That's right, folks, Jack Kirby is going to be joining us once again for the next couple of weeks, and he will be providing layouts for the next couple of issues. It is also worth noting that Larry Lieber is the younger brother of Stan Lee, Stan Lee's full name being Stanley Lieber. So taking a look at this cover, initially I would actually say that given where the last issue left off, this cover doesn't really seem to fit what's going on. However, by the time we get to the end of the issue, the cover will make sense. So it doesn't really pick up very well from where we left off last time and from where we know the story is going to pick up. However, it does pay off in the end. And speaking of where we left off last time, if you will recall from last week, the issue has a very unfortunate ending in that Rick Jones walks up to the rest of the Avengers with a lifeless wasp in his arms. And now we pick up with Giant Man rushing Wasp to the hospital with the other Avengers in tow uh, and a very fat looking Thor, like really fat looking Thor. And of course, the Avengers arrive at the hospital and kind of make a big scene. Iron Man is telling people to clear the way. Giant Man is hurtling over tables and orderlies. Captain America is trying to get a doctor. It's kind of chaos. But eventually, the Avengers get a doctor to take a look at Wasp, sends her for x-rays and the whole nine yards, and the Avengers have to sit and wait outside. Just like anyone else, they've got to go out to the waiting room. And it's at this point that Giant Man starts to have a breakdown. Really, up until this point, Giant Man has kind of not acknowledged any feelings he may or may not have for Wasp. Obviously, she sticks around, but, you know, frequently we'll see that she'll have to demand to go out on a date or something. And she obviously has feelings, but it's hard to tell if Giant Man does or does not. And at this point, we start to understand exactly what kind of feelings Giant Man has for Wasp and that he is straight up in love with her. And we'll see that more and more throughout the issue. You know, when the Avengers first get to the waiting room, he starts breaking down. After some time, the Doctor comes out and delivers very nearly the worst news they can, that, that Wasp really only has 48 hours left. And immediately, Giant Man flies into a rage and threatens the Doctor, and then almost as quickly puts the Doctor down and then just breaks down again. If you don't feel that kind of love and passion for someone, you don't go through those kinds of mood swings. I am a married man myself, and if I were in a similar situation, I could only imagine what my response would be. But I can tell you that I don't find Giant Man's reactions to be unreasonable in the given situation. So as I mentioned, you know, the doctor delivers some really crushing news. Wasp only has 48 hours to live. One of her lungs has already collapsed, and the other one will collapse within 48 hours. So that's how long the Avengers have to find someone to save her. 
the doctor admits that there's nothing he can do, but he has heard of this other doctor, Dr. Svensson, from Norway, who might be able to help. And so the Avengers kind of put their heads together and decide to send Thor to go find Dr. Svensson. To me, this is a little entertaining because they send the Nordic god to go find the Scandinavian doctor. It's not quite typecasting, but it entertains me a little bit there. So eventually Thor gets to Norway, finds Dr. Svensson, and Dr. Svensson protests quite a bit. I'm not the person to help you. You're making a terrible mistake. All of those kinds of things. And Thor doesn't pay any attention and basically kidnaps the doctor because an intercontinental kidnapping is really the way you want to get someone to help you. That's how you convince them that you mean business, that this is really important is you kidnap them. I'm sure you guys have figured out I really like Silver Age Thor here. Silver Age Thor is not what I would call a thinker, though. Silver Age Thor just does stuff. And this is one of those great examples of Thor just doing something. And again, his heart's in the right place. He's doing this to help both Wasp, who is his teammate, and Giant Man, who is his teammate and his friend. And you gotta give him credit for trying, but kidnapping is probably not the best way to go about things. So at any rate, Thor gets to and from Norway fairly quickly, and everything looks like it's going to go well. But then again, Dr. Svensson starts to protest, and Giant Man can't handle this. So he kind of attacks Dr. Svensson, really just gets kind of physical with him, and basically pulls Dr. Svensson's face off. Underneath is an alien who almost immediately dies. He starts going, ah, my throat, I can't breathe, I'm dying, and then drops dead. Well, I gotta say, that's a great plot twist because, you know, with Wasp being injured and them needing to save her, you know, they go, they get Dr. Svensson, fine, I'm, I'm with you there. This early in the book, I'm expecting some kind of plot twist. You know, they've got to go find some rare ingredient or they've got a, you know, it's this super crazy procedure, something with a medical twist. An alien is not the twist I'm expecting. And I like that. Let's be honest, we all love the things we're comfortable with. Hey, I know where this book's going. It's going to go to A to B to C to D, and I'm okay with that as long as it's well done. But at the same time, a really good plot twist can just be so satisfying. When something comes at you out of left field, in recent memory, the thing I can think of probably most that did that, for those who hadn't read the books already, was The Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. If you didn't know The Red Wedding was coming, it messed your head up. Obviously not to the same extreme, but in a similar manner, this plot twist kind of messed with me. I had to go back and read it a couple times and go, an alien? Okay. All right. An alien? I'm down. Where the hell are we going from here? What do we do now? This is the guy who's supposed to save Wasp. I want to save Wasp. Where, where do we go? And the fun part about this twist is that's the exact response the Avengers have, right? Not only was this a plot twist to us, it was a plot twist to them. So the Avengers have to figure out what they're going to do. They've got to find, hopefully, the rest of these aliens. Before he dies, the alien Dr. Svensson says that the real doctor is being held by his people. So somewhere on Earth is the real Dr. Svensson who can help Wasp, and the Avengers now have to go find him. And they're going to do this by trying to find the aliens who kidnapped him. So, of course, we get a great montage of the Avengers using science to do things. It really kind of reminds me of episode 10 when the Avengers were looking for a cure for Wonder Man. And we got the montage of different Avengers looking for cures in their own areas of expertise. And again, we get something similar to that. This time they're looking for the aliens using their expertise. So Ant-Man contacts all the ants in the world. And Cap uses the Teen Brigade to look for radio signals. And Iron Man uses some 
technology to scan the planet, and everybody comes up with nothing, right? No ants have seen him, there's no radio communications, and Tony Stark's scan reveals nothing. Now, what that tells the Avengers, though, is that obviously these aliens are hiding somewhere where there are no people and no ants. And that, that actually helps because it helps them limit the scope of where they're looking, basically to the North or South Pole. Obviously, time is of the essence, so they've got to figure out which pole to go to. So the Avengers, once again, all get back together, and we get a great panel of Thor flying down a hallway, which is kind of weird because I really don't feel like there's enough room in a hallway for Thor to fly. And also, I was pretty sure that Thor's flying was basically Thor throws his hammer and then hangs onto the strap, and that seems like a really bad way to go down a hallway, just throw a hammer to the end. I don't think you're going to stop real well on that one. But at any rate, the Avengers get together and they fly high up in the atmosphere to a point equidistant between the North and South Pole. And then Thor holds Mjolnir out the window and Mjolnir tells them to go to the North Pole. So the Avengers take their super fast jet and they head to the North Pole. Now, for one, this is a really cool looking jet. But where the hell was this like three pages ago when Thor was trying to go to Norway? Like Thor hitches a ride on the back of like a 747 and then uses his hammer to get the rest of the way. Where was this super cool jet then? I don't understand. Did they just build it? Did they... Is it a loner from someone that they didn't have before? Where is this coming from? Anyways, the super cool, super fast jet gets the Avengers to the North Pole in no time, and the Avengers begin trying to dig their way down into the ice where Mjolnir indicates that Dr. Svensson is. And of course, the Avengers, having the, the powers that they have, are almost completely ineffectual at digging through the ice except for Iron Man. Iron Man makes some progress, Giant Man is making a very large snowball, and Cap is doing his best to dig with his shield, which looks really ridiculous. Cap trying to dig with his shield. I mean, I give him credit for it, but at the same time, it's laughably bad. You're not actually really participating here. Of course, Iron Man using his transistor-powered equipment gets through the ice a little bit too quickly, and the Avengers end up falling down a massive hole in the ice that was kind of just covered up. We do get some really great teamwork here from the Avengers, although the dialogue's a little bit much. You know, the Avengers are falling down this hole, and so Giant Man grows so that he can stop himself on the sides of the hole. Iron Man, since he can fly, grabs Cap, and Thor uses Mjolnir to stop himself. We get a, you know, a dialogue box and two speech bubbles to explain this. I feel like in the time you're falling down a hole, there isn't a whole lot of time for a group discussion. Of course, once they reach the bottom of the hole, the Avengers are almost immediately attacked by more of the alien race. It's almost like they were waiting for the Avengers, which is kind of weird. And the Avengers are able to push back the aliens and eventually make it into what is basically a giant alien city under the North Pole. So this is like there are two massive, complete environments under the North and South Pole. There is this alien city under the North Pole and then there is the Savage Land down in the South Pole. How do we not know about any of this? How are these this well hidden, this secretive? There are entire civilizations living here. I feel like we would know something about this. But regardless, the Avengers are a little surprised that they have what is effectively an entire city under the North Pole. And this allows some of the aliens to catch them off guard and stun the Avengers. 
the Avengers are still conscious, but they're they're basically frozen stiff. So they are taken before the alien leader, who explains what's going on, that his race is the victims of an intergalactic war, and that they were chased off their planet by this evil alien species, and they've come to the Earth to hide out and rebuild their civilization enough so that they can go back out and take the fight back to the other aliens. They did, however, discover when they got to Earth that they're unable to breathe Earth's atmosphere because it's a different type of oxygen and that they're unable to breathe it. And so they happen across Dr. Svensson, who was able to help them develop the ability to breathe our Earth oxygen. And that's why Dr. Svensson is with them. And they sent one of their own guys to take Dr. Svensson's place so that nothing would seem out of out of the ordinary and that nobody would come looking for Svensson until obviously the Avengers inadvertently uncovered the alien. Now, I have a problem with this. I I don't have a huge issue with aliens using Earth as a sanctuary until they can go fight some other aliens. That's like the least bad thing aliens are going to do to the Earth in the Marvel Universe, so I'm okay with that. But when they're saying that they can't breathe our oxygen, but they breathe oxygen... I decided to do a little bit of investigation on this one. And there are, in fact, a number of different, we'll call them types of oxygen. There are three different stable forms of oxygen, and there are 14 radioisotopes of oxygen, radioactive forms, unstable forms of oxygen. The longest of those types, though, only has a half-life of a little over two minutes. So that in ten minutes, it's effectively decayed away. And that's based on the idea that in five half-lives, something is generally considered to be effectively decayed away. So this oxygen only survives for about 10 minutes. The other forms of oxygen are the stable forms, and that's what makes up our atmosphere. So I kind of just have to go, oxygen is oxygen, sure, but at the same time, I don't see how a species could build a civilization when their required breathing source is this unstable oxygen. I realize I am digging way into the weeds on this one, and uh, it's kind of what I do, I'll be honest. It's more a curiosity thing. When they're talking about a different type of oxygen, how many types of oxygen are there out there? Well, turns out there's 14 radioisotopes. Now that I've gotten that out of my system, let's get back to the issue here. So it turns out Thor is really not that affected by the stunning ray. And he's just been pretending to have been stunned like the rest of the Avengers. And he's waiting for the perfect moment to strike out to attack the leader and free the rest of the Avengers. Which he does after the leader has finished explaining what's going on. And once Thor has their leader in hand, he demands that they free the rest of the Avengers. Which of course the aliens oblige. But then... The aliens attack the Avengers en masse. Before I get into that real quick, though, I am a little confused by Thor's Asgardian immunity to things. At this point, it feels very inconsistent. Last issue, Count Nefarious suspended animation serum works instantaneously on Thor, no problem. But this advanced alien technology really doesn't work. Maybe it's a threshold kind of thing. I don't know. But it feels like a little bit of a crapshoot as to what will or will not actually affect Thor. And again, it's not a consistent thing. It feels like it's more driven by the needs of the plot. So, like I mentioned, basically all of the aliens start attacking the Avengers at once. I love this because the Avengers are basically willing to take on the entirety of an alien race in order to get Dr. Svensson and save Wasp. Now, they realize they're on a time crunch here, so, you know, they really can't attack the entire alien race, but they are more than willing to do so. 
To me, that's a great team moment. The point at which you are willing to go to the ends of the earth and do the impossible just to save the life of one of your teammates. It's a shame that in two issues, we're going to break up this group of Avengers because they are just finally starting to gel as a team. They're starting to work together. They're starting to care about one another as a team. It's kind of a weird dynamic because, as I mentioned before, we also set the groundwork to justify the team breaking up. So at the same time that they're working better as a team, they're also fighting against these internal conflicts. One, that's a very cool dynamic, right? It's that back and forth. Are they going to pull apart? Are they going to go back together? And it provides a lot of really interesting dynamics to the team. At the same time, though, it really kind of keeps you guessing in terms of what's happening moving forward. Is this going to be the same team? Are we going to start pulling people off piecemeal? It feels like something big is going to happen to the book, and you just kind of don't know what. The other great thing about this fight is that because Jack Kirby is back doing layouts, we get some of these really great Jack Kirby action sequences. Now, the downside to that is I think we lose a little bit of the Don Heck art and detail and quite honestly, some of the interesting and fun panel layouts he's done. But, you know, it's hard to argue because Jack is just so good at action sequences. Now, right as the Avengers begin to gain the upper hand against these hordes of aliens, Dr. Svensson finally makes his appearance, and he insists that both groups stop fighting, and he also insists that he's not leaving, that he's going to stay with the aliens, and Giant Man is understandably unhappy about this. Now, right as all of this is going down, we cut away and get some kind of unpleasant news in that the aliens who were pursuing the, the aliens on Earth, the bad aliens, have been sending out probes and they have found the aliens on Earth and they're coming to annihilate them. They're going to end this war in their goldfish cracker shaped ships, but they're going to end the war. So at this point, the aliens who until now have pledged to not cause the Earth harm have basically said, you know, screw that. We need to protect ourselves. We're going to fight. There's nothing you guys can do. And the alien leader actually says, besides, in an intergalactic war such as this, one planet means nothing. Listening to this alien leader speak, I want to think of him as noble, a guy who is leading his people through very dark days, almost like a Moses kind of figure, right? Moses leading the Israelites through the desert. He's leading his people to this far off land where they can rebuild their civilization and hopefully retake their home world. But every time he does, he just comes off as a dick. He's particularly capricious, only following the agreement while it's convenient for him but as soon as his people are just about ready to be under attack he says nope don't care about the earth anymore earth can be sacrificed as long as my people are safe and while i don't disagree that is his fundamental responsibility it also seems like he is abandoning principles he's held just because it suits the moment just because it's suddenly convenient for him to do this and to run away and to let the earth be destroyed but again, the Avengers, being the heroes that they are, say no. Iron Man says, sound the battle cry. And Thor responds with first a great Avengers assemble. But then he said, Earth must be saved. Leave it once or you fight us as well. 
So now at this point, the Avengers were putting up a pretty good fight beforehand against these aliens, and now the aliens have to contend with the bad aliens, and they really can't afford to be fighting a war on two fronts, especially when their goal is to evacuate. Right? It, it doesn't help to try and fight a rear guard while you're trying to do this evacuation to get out in time to avoid the other aliens. It's just a bad situation all around. So the aliens finally just agree to the Avengers' terms, and they allow Dr. Svensson to return to New York with the Avengers through these really cool portals that they've got which you know save time because right wasp is still lying in a hospital in new york with a 48 hour window that is rapidly coming to an end as soon as the avengers arrive back in new york they get dr svensson to the hospital who examines wasp who oddly enough is still in her superhero costume through all of the medical exams she keeps her costume on and then dr svensson says well i'm gonna do my best have faith i can't make any promises though and so the Avengers have to wait. And while they are waiting, we get to see the aliens attempting to evacuate the Earth and to lead the bad aliens away from Earth. And they do. We don't know what happens to them, but they do successfully lead the bad aliens away from Earth in a really great Jack Kirby-esque... When I say Jack Kirby-esque, he did the layout. So it, it really it's a great Jack Kirby couple of panels and this evacuation scene. Really very cool. Some of the great Jack Kirby machinery stuff that he does. Love it. And our issue closes with the Watcher walking through the abandoned streets of this alien city under the North Pole. And he just kind of waxes philosophically for a minute and then departs. Now, of course, I say that's how the issue ends. It's not quite how the issue ends. That's how most of that page goes. The The last three panels of that page, though, you know, give us back hope, even more than the Watcher's philosophical waxing, in that Dr. Svensson comes out of the operating room to the waiting Avengers and tells them that the operation was successful and Wasp recover. All in all, it's a really good issue. Overall, I enjoy this issue. There's a lot going on, but there are some very real consequences going on in this book. If the Avengers don't manage to pull this off, Wasp dies. And aside from, you know, you have a teammate dying, who knows what the ramifications to Giant Man would be? As we've seen, Giant Man already has some anger management issues, I would call them right now. We will find out as the book goes on. He suffers from bipolar disorder and from depression. And so knowing that you know, you can only imagine what kind of impact the loss of Wasp this early on would have on Giant Man and obviously the future of the Avengers. And in general, this actually marks a significant change for Giant Man. And it's really for the better. You know, Wasp being as gravely injured as she was has forced him to face the feelings that he has for her. And as we see moving forward, his attitude towards her is going to change significantly. And, and he's going to embrace the feelings that he has. Now, again, obviously, we know down the road he will hit Wasp. He will turn around and he will hit her. But he also has extremely strong feelings for her that he now has acknowledged and even at those times embraces. This also demonstrates that both heroes and villains alike are vulnerable. That's something we are going to explore far more in the next issue. But as I mentioned last time, villains come and go and it's not uncommon for villains to appear to have died. But we really don't, especially in this era, tend to put heroes in this kind of peril you know modern comics we have this image in our head of oh somebody dies in comics they come right back death has no permanency in comics but this is a comic from before that point where that feeling came from this is early in the silver age of comics so readers don't have an understanding that death isn't permanent at least for heroes if a villain dies oh they'll be back we're already starting to see that but we haven't had a hero die this is actually probably one of the closest that marvel comics has come at this point to the death of a hero and it really makes 
the readers start going, well, what if Wasp did die? Like, can Wasp really die? Can a hero die? And again, being a modern comics reader, I'm kind of envious of comic readers at this point because while death can be permanent in our current era, death also very much is not permanent. If they want to bring someone back, they absolutely can and will. And it takes away some of the sting. You know, in the back of my head, anytime someone dies, I go, well, just wait for it. When it comes to the art on this book, I would say the art is both good and bad. Jack Kirby does better layouts than Don Heck. That is a statement of fact. He doesn't, however, make quite as much use of some of the creative panel layouts that we've seen Don Heck use in Avengers. Jack Kirby is someone who is actually known for creative use of panel and sequential art for storytelling. That's one of the things that has made Jack so famous. But in Avengers, it's pretty straightforward sequential art. So in that regard, we're missing out from Don Heck. The other thing is, unfortunately, because Jack Kirby's doing the layouts, which means Jack Kirby's doing probably the lion's share of the actual storytelling, again, keep Keeping in mind the Marvel method, it feels like Don Heck kind of phoned in some of these pages. Towards the end here, we get some nice character detail. Dr. Svensson in these last three panels looks really good. At the beginning of the book, though, Iron Man looks very stripped down, very bare bones, very little detail, and it's a little frustrating because Don Heck has set a certain bar for the quality of his art, and he failed to meet that bar at several points along the way. The way I look at the cleanliness and the detail that we've seen before is lacking, and that disappoints me. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers 15. And now, by my hand, shall die a villain. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.